0: Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel in Hanani. One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the prominence who, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that, know, that I know pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you, even i and my father's house have sinned we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments the statutes and the rules you commanded your servant moses M- remember that the word you commanded your servant moses saying if you are unfaithful i will scatter you among the peoples but if you return to me and keep your and keep my commandments and do them though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven. From there, I will gather them and bring them to the people that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and let the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was compared to the king. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I'd like to invite all the children and Helpers to come down, and we want to give a special message before you head out to Kitsman today. Uh, we are starting back Kitsman, and we're excited to do that. And as uh, little by little, um, as we pray for the vaccine or just any way that we can make sure everyone is protected, uh, that's exciting for us to see. So, so we gather together. Well, I want to show you something. All right, this is this is not all that exciting, but. It could be exciting for some people. Some people look at this, and they get really excited. You, want it, you ready? All right. Okay, tell me, what is this? D- are you excited, Jonah? It's dirt. How many of you get excited about dirt? <laughs> Joseph is cringing away. It's dirt. Dirt's fun, no? No. So some people, you see dirt. What do you? What else do you see? Yeah, some plants, some roots. When you, when you, for Christmas time, do you say, "Dad, for Christmas, I really want a bag of dirt." No. Dad, I don't really need a Nintendo Switch. I just need a bag of dirt. That that's what makes me go, no. So, but you know, there are some people. We see this and we're like, it's kind of dirty. It's dirt. Um, and it's not a big deal, and we just could just throw it and move on. But there are some people who may really get excited about seeing this. Who might be excited about seeing dirt like this? Let's think. And, church, you could help out too. Who might be excited when they see dirt? They go, Yes. Who? Dogs and cats? <laughs> okay. Landscapers? Anyone else get excited about dirt? Farmers. So if you're in the Midwest, I know Miss Joy here, she grew up in the Midwest. A lot of our members grew up in the Midwest. They farm. And when there's bad dirt, they don't get excited. But when they see rich, dark dirt, they get excited. Why do they get excited, boys and girls? Because they can see, they could grow plants, corn, Potatoes and and all these great things. So the point of this is, a lot of times we see maybe a little dirt. We see like it's meaningless. It's kind of hopeless or it's just useless. But some people can see it and they see life. They could picture that's perfect for grapes. Do you like plants? Do you like fruit? People make wine and grape juice with grape. And so I want to share this because Nehemiah, He went back and he heard that Jerusalem was destroyed. It was like just burned dirt. Everything was broken. But God gave him something to see. And what God saw was that even though there's a broken city, God saw life. He saw hope for the future. He saw that Israel wasn't done. And so in this world today, things are scary. Things are kind of like dirt. I hate it. I hate life. I hate I hate this country, and some people get really angry. But when we have eyes to see as God sees, we don't have to see dirt. We could see the God who gives life through dirt. Jesus died, and we thought it was over. But what happened to Jesus three days later? He rose again. And so with this kind of God, even though we may see dirt, we never have to see death. We could always see life coming out. Because God can bring life out of good things, even the worst things. So that will be our message today for Nehemiah. Let's pray. Would you join me in prayer, boys and girls? Lord, we see dirt, but people who, like landscapers and farmers, may see life. And similarly, in our world, we see a lot of bad news. But no matter how bad the bad news, God with you. You see life. You can also turn things around. You could raise and renew. And so, God, from children to older people and adults, may we see through your eyes. May we live life with faith in you. Not by what we see and not by even what we know, but trusting, God, that you have always something beautiful planned. We pray these things with thanks and gratitude to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, boys and girls, we'll see you. Have fun at Kidsman. Thank you, volunteers. Could we give the volunteers just a hand encouragement as they serve? So, when we look at just numbers and statistics, uh, when we look at just indications around the world, it is easy to just be discouraged. Um, in our own denomination, uh, the numbers that, that have been shared is that the median church size in the PCUSA is now 67. That's members. The median attendance of an average PCUSA ch- church is 34. And so, It's not just PCUSA, it's all mainline denominations, and when we see that, we may go, boy, this doesn't look good. And so we could get discouraged by that, and I realized, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, Gas prices are almost $5, and we could always say, oh, the government, I remember those days when it was like this. But even politics, government, churches, things can become bleak. And so I think it's important for us to just collect ourselves and not to react to the news all the time and just be like chaff that's blown in the wind, as Psalm 1 says, but to be anchored and rooted in something greater, in the Word of God and God. And so Nehemiah strikes, strikes that chord that no matter what we see, God is still God. And in our lifetime, things may not be uh, as, you know, fireworks and celebratory and things that just drive us to energy, energetic action. But no matter what we see, God is God, and God is a God who restores and renews. And so I want to go into that framework into Nehemiah chapter 1. So first, let's play a game. Who, who am I? I had, did not speak fluently until the age of nine. Anybody know person yet? Second clue, I was expelled from school for rebellious behavior. Anybody? Third, I was rejected from a private science school because they didn't think I was smart enough. Yeah. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein did not speak fluently until nine years old. He was such a rebel and misbehaved that he was expelled from school. I was... I had many detentions. That's another story. But I was never expelled, and they and a school didn't accept him because they thought he was not smart enough. And so, you know what's funny in our world when we say, "Hey, you're an Einstein," his name became an adjective to "you're brilliant," right? And so it's interesting. Can you imagine the teachers at that time? All they saw was failure. This, this kid's not going to add up to anything. He can't even talk at nine. I don't know. He's a good kid, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. And it's fascinating. If we only see in that snapshot of time and we rule this kid out, we we don't give a chance for what can happen. So so the potential in each of us, potential even the miseries of life, we can't allow ourselves to look at it in this snapshot. So Stephen Colbert, he's, he was a famously viral this past week they're like how do you reconcile comedy and your faith and do you recall what he said and let me let me share with you his his very quote he said ultimately us all being mortal the faith will win out in the end but i certainly hope when i go to heaven jesus has a sense of humor so if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy it's that no matter what happens you are never defeated you must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. So humor is a statement to Stephen Colbert that because God is eternal and this is not everything, you can always laugh. We are never defeated with God. For Christians, we are never defeated because of Jesus Christ. And we say, amen. And so, That's how Stephen Colbert goes, but he's deeply Catholic, it's very rooted in the gospel for us that Jesus Christ allows us to say, no matter what the circumstance, we are never defeated. And so, this goes back to the reminder in our church that we've been saying for a couple of years with the story, that the lower level, what we see, is never the same as the upper story of what God is doing, and we have to remember that especially when our times and life struggles hit. So in Nehemiah, what he sees in this moment breaks his heart, and so he's moved by that, not into defeat, but into fasting, into prayer and action. And I'm just mesmerized by that, and I think that's something exciting and encouraging for us. So let's look into this. There's three things I want to share from this, that there's something more to this story. First, there's more than just a broken wall. Um... Do you guys remember Planet of the Apes? What was the iconic scene at the end of Planet of the Apes? The original one. The Statue of Liberty buried at the beach, right? And why was that so iconic? It was Charleston Heston. He went into the future and the world was dilapidated. And the symbol of Statue of Liberty being buried in sand gave us this picture of like, oh my goodness, a dystopian future, a tragedy. This is the end of the world. And so when... Nehemiah hears that Jerusalem walls like that, this iconic city is still in ruins after 150 years because Israel rebelled against God. They worshiped other gods. They would not repent. And God said, I will judge you if you do not turn. And they did not. So Assyria came in 722 B.C. and 586 Babylon. And then so they were both north Israel and southern Israel were squashed. And so 150 years later, Nehemiah goes to his brother. Hey, you came back from Jerusalem. How are things over there? And his brother says, not good. The walls are still burned down. The remnant and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so Jerusalem was destroyed by fire by Nebuchadnezzar. And what is the big deal with the wall? When you see a wall, it it protects. It keeps intruders out. It allows to control what goes in and what goes out. But it's also a sign that God's favor is upon this city, this great city of Jerusalem. Uh, For Nehemiah, it meant more. In chapter 2, verse 17, for Nehemiah, the Jerusalem wall lies in ruins and its gates are burned. And he says, come, let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision, which means mockery. Uh, We hear this a lot. I call people, hey, how are you doing? Hey, can I come by and pray with you or say hello? And sometimes some people say what? Oh, don't come. My house is a mess. How many, how many have you said that? I've heard that a couple of times. Actually, our house is a mess too, so you better call me before you drop by. But, but our house represents maybe us, and we get embarrassed sometimes. Maybe a little too much. We're a little bit too superficial or too oversensitive. But this wall represents their home, their nation, and the enemies were mocking them. You're God's people. What good is your God? You guys look like you have nothing. And so this wall represented more than just the fortress. It was that God's favor has left and that they have been destroyed. And so instead of the world knowing God, they were mocking Israel. And so, it, so Nehemiah's heart's burning. And over the 150 years, they tried to rebuild the wall. But every time they try to rebuild the wall, uh, Ezra chapter 4 tells us, That people were lying and saying, king, Israelites, they're trying to build a wall so they could take you down. (laughs) And so rumors and gossip and threats kept them 150 years until you get this guy named Nehemiah, which is fascinating. And so the message of Nehemiah, I think one of the many, many great messages is even after the devastation at the hand of God, God is the one that continues to work in our lives so that's a wonder mystery of god that he's the one that caused this because the people sin but god has not given up on them he's still working we even are told that the king granted me in nehemiah 2 8 the king granted nehemiah everything he asked quote unquote for the good hand of my god was upon me so behind nehemiah was a god that was allowing the planning to carry out so the hero is Nehemiah, but the hero of the Bible is always God behind the person. And so I want to just say, God only needs one person. God only needs one person, right? He only needs one person to just put his foot down and say, this is not right. Um, this is a fun story, but it's, it's a true story. Do you remember the Roman Colosseum? They used to throw Christians and, with animals, and they used to have, You know, those, what do you call those? Gladiator fights. Do you know how that stopped? There was a true story of a priest who saw this brutality, and he said, no more, this is wrong. So he ran into the Colosseum and tried to stop the fight, and they killed him. And the whole Colosseum hushed in silence that this holy priest offered his life to stop this brutality. And the, the, the legend has it That because of that priest, the beginning of the end of gladiator fights started. And even Christian deaths. that this is not right. And so it takes one person. And for Nehemiah, after 150 years, he saw that this God, there has to be more. And he was moved. Verse 4 tells us, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Who keeps his covenant, steadfast love, who loves and keeps his commandments? Let your ear be attentive. I want to say to you that in a world today, um, we have to be in tune with what we compassion and empathy and sympathy of what's going on around us. That God uses that to call you into something that may surprise you to be his agent. And so a lot of us were kind of isolated and we said, as long as my family's happy, I'm good. But something's got to burden your heart and i think as christians one of the things we have to do is allow our hearts to be open god what is it that's troubling you that aches us uh, some people do compassion child because of this what you can't do for all do for one so they adopt a compassion child some people literally adopt foster children so they could have a future and so it's, it's for the, us to recognize god i can't fix the whole world but is there something you're giving me a burden to do? And so the first thing is, it's more than a wall. It's, it's like there's a brokenness in this world. Second, um, based on Nehemiah's prior, we see that it's more than external circumstances that brings us to where we are. The enemy of, of Nehemiah wasn't Babylon. The enemy of Nehemiah wasn't, other nations didn't do this. What was Nehemiah's prayer telling us? He tells us, he doesn't say if only Syria or Babylon and these terrible people didn't invade us. He doesn't pray that. Did you catch when Maima read the scripture beautifully? So let me read it for us. He says, he continues in his prayer. Let your ear be attentive and eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. And I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And then he adds this, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. I love, it's so refreshing that Nehemiah doesn't go, God, these godless pagans, how could they defeat us? He doesn't say that. He says, I know our history, God. We are such sinful people. We don't care about your word. God, we, We've, we've negl- you were right in front of our face, and we just rejected you. And God, not only them, but me as well. Um, you know, there's like a meme that says, blame Obama, uh, blame George W. Bush, blame Trump. Now it's blame Biden. And I, I wonder, you know, we could do that on and on, and... We could blame everybody in the whole world, can't we? Some of you are like, I blame her. I blame him next to me. And Adam and Eve, when they first got caught, what happened? They blamed each other. Adam blamed the white woman. The woman blamed the serpent. And so what's refreshing about Nehemiah is we are the sinners who receive judgment due to our name. I'm not sure how often we think like this, where we always start with us, or do we start with us? other people. What do students say? How did you get a C on your test? It was a teacher's fault. <laughs> did you study? Well, no. <laughs> Remember that? And teachers say, who gave you this grade? And the kids want to say, you did, but the teacher says, no, you did. Um, in Baseball it's the same thing. I tell my, my players, who determines the lineup? They're like, you! I say, no, not me. You do, based on what you can do, what you want to do, what, how you hard you want to work. And so, I like Nehemiah. He's humble about his sins. He's humble about Israel's sins. And he's honest of the situation. And so, whenever we're in this dark situation or in a trap, I wonder if we could say as a nation, if things are not going well, how have we contributed to this? Instead of saying, it's the capital, Washington, D.C., the way, our proper, the way our system works, by the way, you elected them into Washington, D.C., right? Is it not? right? And so how have we grieved and prayed for the politicians? How have we equipped the younger generation to serve with integrity? And so Nehemiah sees that where we are was just because this is what God has to do to sin. We, he owns it, and he says, God, We are the ones, and if so, we need your mercy, O God. And so he prays in his prayer, God, you are God, you're holy, you're good. We are sinners, and you scattered us, but God, we ask for your mercy. And so he quotes this quote from Deuteronomy 30, and he quotes Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I remember your promises, God. I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. So in Deuteronomy 30, this is the three things that he quotes, captures from Moses. God will scatter those people who are unfaithful. as his judgment. But Israel can return to God if they choose to obey and live under his rule. And third... If, if Israel does that, God will gather and restore and dwell with them, referring to Jerusalem, and he'll rebuild them. And so Nehemiah remembers this line from Moses, and he quotes it. And what is he saying? If we have self-inflicted harm in where we are now, the only hope is the mercy of God. And our job is to repent. Our job is to turn back to God humbly, and to obey and trust him, and he will heal us. Uh, Second Chronicles has this verse If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear them and forgive them and heal their land. And so I wonder, instead of being discouraged again about our church situations, have the churches gathered to say, God, we need a revival. We repent of a, being a church that's about us. For our nation, for our city. And so this is Nehemiah saying, God, the only person that could fix this is not a new president. It's not a new pastor. It's not more money. But the only people, only thing that could help us is your mercy, oh God. And so we humble ourselves. So lastly, he turns to this, it's more than what we see. That God saw this brokenness. Do you know how long it took for them to rebuild the wall, by the way? This is an fa- important trivia. There's some things are trivia. Do you know how long Nehemiah went back? He got the blessing. How long did it take for them to rebuild the whole wall of the city? Just anybody? How many say a month? Two months? A year? Okay. 52 days under Nehemiah's leadership with, his, with God's blessing and his insight and wisdom, they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. That's just, um, that's just literally supernatural and amazing that God was able to use that. And so the sign is that God's favor is with us. So when we see a rubble, I really think God sees, hey, I'm just waiting for you guys to return. I can do, I am the one who created this universe with words. If you would return to me, trust in me, what I can do in your life is to bring life back. Uh, Thinking about all the things Jesus said where death is not the end, but death is the beginning of life, right? For example, John twelve twenty four, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Matthew sixteen twenty five, For whoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's, it's in dying that there is life in the rubble that God brings out life. And Jesus Christ said, "If the Son of Man will be beaten, betrayed, die, but on the third day he will rise again. And so everything in God's economy is that when we see brokenness, that's actually a good sign because it allows us to recognize the only hope is God. Uh, so let me read this from Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, just a brilliant mind, Christian author, and so... This is the kingdom of God, he says. Jesus compared a grain of seed, a tiny speck in the palm of his hands, to the kingdom of God. What a ridiculous comparison it would seem in the eyes of anyone who did not know what a seed is and what it can become. In point of fact, is there anything more miraculous in the universe than a grain of seed that goes into the ground? That tiny speck planted in the earth, decomposing there, under the same necessity as we are to die in order to be reborn, then putting out shoots, becoming an ear of corn, a flower more gloriously attired than Solomon, a tree even, with birds nesting in its branches, containing within its minute self all the mysterious potential of creation. No wonder Jesus compared it to the kingdom of heaven. And so when we see a seed... What God sees is, I created that seed. Out of that seed, the potential for trees and life is vast. I am God. And I think Nehemiah somehow understood that, and in his aching of his brokenness, he sees that. So can the message be, God can rebuild your marriage? Yes. Can the message be, God can restore relationships? Yes. Can the God restore uh, church? Yes. But I think the biggest message is, God is the God who brings life out of death. God is the God who, in whom we find hope. And as Stephen Colbert says, there is never defeat in light of, I would say, rather eternity, the triune, beautiful God that is known to us, revealed himself to us. And so because of that, rubble of the Jerusalem wall could be rebuilt. I want to pray for our nation. I don't want to say we're a rubble. Uh, I think that's too, uh, too negative. But whenever there's a broken down structure or family, church, or world, we have hope. Amen? Our hope is, God, would you take all of this, give us a burden for you, for this land. And God, instead of grieving, send us out to be the ones that are your hands and feet to rebuild your kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's pray. God, help us to be humble and honest about ourselves, about the situation, Lord, I know so many churches are in denial of their own self inflicted wounds that they never change. I know that relationships never change because they're in denial of their own wounds that they inflict on their loved ones. And so, Lord, give us eyes like Nehemiah to be crushed and grieve and mourn that this is not the way you intended us to live. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And rather than being cynical or bitter and just hopeless, that we would be able to run to you, turn back to you, and to confess our sins even to you, knowing that there is a God who gives mercy. Nehemiah experienced it, and we see the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. And so God, heal our land. God, heal our homes. God, heal our relationships, and even in Ukraine and Russia and, and the persecutions around the world, God, go forth in your power and might and equip your servants to stand for your name. This we pray because you are God, and this we pray with faith and confidence because you have done it, and God, you will continue to do so in Christ's name. Lord, it is all in his name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.